When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast, and this is a Staycast from Acast. We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out. This is the Everything is Black and White podcast, brought to you by Chronicle Live, bringing you the latest insight on everything to do with Newcastle United. You can find us on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, or most podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for our weekend review. Newcastle beaten 1-0 by Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. I'm joined here by our chief sports writer, Lee Ryder and the Athletics, Chris Woff. He's back in Chronicle Towers. A little bit of a nervous entrance at first, but he's, he looks like he's back and he's happy to be back. Um, we'll, we'll dive in with, Lee, your first initial thoughts of Saturday. Obviously a defeat. Was it? A, how did you kind of look at the performance? Was it the right result? In a bizarre way, it wasn't actually the worst performance I've seen, really. They didn't necessarily actually play that bad overall. They just couldn't seem to do anything in the final third. So you can be critical of them offensively, but organisation-wise, first half was probably one of the you know most you know organised forty-five minutes I've seen them play at Stamford Bridge uh, in recent times in the Premier League. Um, but just they just lost the plot a bit when it was you know getting in the final third. ASM had a shot from long range, but apart from that. Not really much doing. Julian Julian headed wide. Um, you know they they put pressure on them running forward, but they just couldn't finish. Then the second half, slightly different story. Um, they were basically weathering the storm, and then they they stopped attacking really until they went one 0 down, and then Clark had the chance at the end. But yeah, so overall, not the worst performance, but one that they'll um, have to learn from again. Was it a case, Chris, that just the legs got tired? I think to a degree. I mean, I agree with Lee that first half, I thought Newcastle really frustrated. Chelsea could see increasingly on the touchline, Frank Lampard was right in front of where we were sitting and you could see he was he was kept going to his coaching staff. He kept saying, how can we change this? Chelsea were, were quite lateral in their movement. They didn't really know how to break Newcastle down and they didn't really have too many clear chances for a team who score a lot of goals and concede a lot of goals. It wasn't like that. I expected it to be more open. Second half was slightly different. Chelsea seemed to just do things a little bit quicker. Newcastle started to sit a bit deeper and, and, and really couldn't create those opportunities and that that is that is the real concern I mean I agree I thought overall the performance was pretty decent the given how Newcastle have gone to Stamford Bridge in the last three years and on occasion being turned over I mean I remember being there when they were beaten 5-1 under Steve McLaren 5-0 sorry under Steve McLaren whatever it was where they got hammered under Steve McLaren I think Townsend scored at the end and he said it was 5-1 but those sorts of games where Newcastle were all over the place it wasn't like that uh, and 
yes, there was a sense of inevitability about the Chelsea were going to go on and win it, but the frustration is where are the goals going to come from for Newcastle? You, you don't want to base that on a game away at Chelsea, but if you put that in the wider context, the first nine games so far this season, five goals, haven't scored more than once in any game, no players yet scored more than once, They're all, all, just about every single attack and stat, they're towards the bottom of the Premier League and that really needs to change going forward. And we'll get onto the goal issue in a moment, but just looking at the positives first of all, you mentioned Alan St. Maxim there, I mean that first half he seemed to really enjoy just running at the defence and he tweeted a, a, a video of all the runs he made and you know he, he did scare that Chelsea defence, I suppose him now in, in full flow is, is one positive to take and we take that into the Wolves game. Yeah, I mean, he said something, I interviewed him after, uh, I think it was the Man United game, and he, he said something that I didn't really pay too much attention to at the time, but now looking back on it, maybe he was getting at something. He actually said something like, I can't run forward all the time. So whether he's got some kind of suggestion on his fitness levels, his energy levels, whereas he can really have a go in the first half, but then he's going to kind of tire in the second half. I don't know. Uh, we tried to speak to him again after the game. Uh, you were still next as when you went out. I tried that and uh, he didn't didn't want to know, basically. Just uh, sort of stormed past. So this is, um, you know, you learn about new players coming in. You learn about um, what what their attitude is, is going to be. And, you know, and may, may, you know he wasn't the only player that stormed past, was he? There, there was a few of them. Um, so if you can take a positive from that, is that, you know, they were far from happy with the result. Uh, they were far from happy with what happened in the second half. Dwight Gale and Kieran Clark squabbling as they left the pitch as well. Um, and maybe that that's a good thing that, you know, they're, they're not satisfied with, with... You're never going to be satisfied getting beat, but they're not satisfied with just putting up a reasonable show. They obviously want to, uh, you know, get get results at the big grounds like Chelsea. I think Yedlin came out afterwards and said they deserved at least a point. I think William said something similar. Would you share that sentiment that they did deserve a point? No, I wouldn't because I think it was a matter of time before Chelsea scored. They were, you know, they were riding the luck. For if they'd, if they'd have produced what they did in the first half, in the second half and lost narrowly, uh, I, I would say, yeah, they would have deserved a point um, on the balance of play. But the second half, it was just almost. A matter of time before the goal came. Dubravka made some great stops. Jedlin clear one off the line. On another day, a sharper Chelsea side might have won that comfortably in the second half, three or four nil. So, I think they're um, they're dreaming a little bit if they think that it was you know as narrow as that. Um, Frank Lampard before the game mentioned Newcastle and how they were resilient, and he'd watched the Spurs game and he'd seen where they can hurt teams and that resilience showed through right up until obviously Alonso eventually got the goal and it was a kind of a, it was a dogged performance and I think like Lee says just without that that attack and threat in that second half Yeah I mean there's there's been two occasions this season where they haven't been resilient that was Norwich and then obviously at Leicester both occasions they've bounced back and gone and won in surprising circumstances at Spurs and then at home against Manchester United at least at Chelsea it wasn't anything like any of those two performances again they've continued to show that that discipline off the ball 
defensive solidity. Certainly first half, Chelsea just didn't seem to know how to break Newcastle down. Second half was slightly different. They still did defend well, albeit that Chelsea got a lot more opportunities and, and, and could have been had a bit more cutting edge. I mean, this squad over the last two, three years, we, we've said is completely different to, to 2015-16 when the, you could have argued that, that there wasn't that sort of collective mentality. There wasn't those characteristics. This squad isn't like that. But at the same time, at some point, they need to start showing just more than just that resilience. They need to keep that. They need to make sure that, that Norwich and Leicester doesn't, isn't repeated again. But then there has to be a little something more on attack because they're already behind in terms of points per game. They're only just catching up with, with an average of one point per game, which is what you say roughly you need to stay up. So they're going to have to start winning games more frequently and scoring goals and, and just showing a little bit more that's about that quality and, and trying to, to find some way of just being a bit more offensively minded. Just on the goal, Lonzo had a lot of room. Dubravka was close to it. A, where should the defence have got closer to Alonso and B, should Dubravka have done better with it? I chatted to a few people about Dubravka. I mean, when I first saw it, when he got his hand to it, I thought, mm, not sure. But when you look at it again, I mean, it was Alonso has a habit of doing that, hitting it across the box low and quite hard. I think Dubravka saw it quite late. I think it's a little bit harsh to say he should have saved it. Yes, he got a hand to it, but I don't think necessarily that was the case. He did have a lot of room, and I know a lot of people spoke about, well, would Almiron have been there if he hadn't been taken off? Earlier, but I can understand why Steve Bruce made that substitution. Arguably, it should have come even even sooner, given that, that Newcastle needed a bit of an outball, someone who's going to hold it up. But uh, yeah, the defending for that area probably wasn't great. But again, that, they were probably tired by that stage. You in the last twenty minutes of a game where Newcastle had had very little of the ball and, and, and been doing so much defending. Before we get into how Steve Bruce was, I think you Lee, you asked the question whether the subs did come too late in the game. I think Dwight Gill was the one you were particularly uh, interested in. For you, I take it. Do you think it did come too late in the in the game? I, I do. Yeah, I think that uh, from where we were right behind the dugout, it's a great vantage point you've got at uh, at Chelsea, and you can be you can basically see everything that that is going on in the dugout. Um, and for me, I think Chelsea came out in the second half. They'd obviously had a bit of a G up from Lampard. He'd obviously maybe you know said a few home truths, and they seemed to be. You have the bit between the teeth and 55, 60 minutes I think might have been a better time to, to change something to give Chelsea something to think about and you know 10 minutes is, is an eternity in a Premier League game and I just think they were piling the pressure on more and more Chelsea by the time Andy Carroll did you know arrive on the pitch uh, it was it was almost too late because the tide had turned and Chelsea were all over Newcastle and as I say, it just felt like a matter of time before that goal arrived. Um, Dwight Gale actually didn't get a touch in the time he was on the pitch, so that 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 he didn't get he didn't get time to settle in the game. But by the same token, no one got him on the ball. Uh, as I say, Carroll came on and you know he won a couple of headers. Uh, but seventeen minutes is that going to be long enough in a, in a game like that? Debatable. So I just and Atsu came on as well, and you know he put what they put the cross in for Clark, mm-hmm. didn't he? So he's done something at least, but I think they needed more time to to make an impact, and um, sadly they didn't get it. I mean, everyone's probably read or heard what Steve Bruce had to say after the game, but you guys are a lot closer than you know. You get to see more than just the the words, so to speak. What was he like after the game? What kind of mood was he in? I think he was disappointed with obviously the result but I, I I think 
when you compare it to a Leicester or a Norwich, um, deep down he'd probably be pleased that his team at least you know put up a, res- a respectable enough show uh, in the first half and just sadly couldn't you know get anything out in the second half. Um, I think he spent time talking to Ant and Deck after they came um, in the sort of mix zone area and looked in you know in good spirits. But look, at the end of the day, he said it himself, they're not going to be judged on on Chelsea away. Uh, they've now got to back it up in the games um, against teams like Wolves and Bournemouth at home. West Ham will be tricky as well, but you know if they can get six points out of nine from the next two, then suddenly it's not bad. And also, if you look at the Brighton game and the Watford game, if they actually won those two games, I don't think we'd be flapping too much about the league position now, obviously. Um, so, 1-0 away at Chelsea, no disgrace. And if you win those games and you've got more points on the board, it's just, it just would have made life a lot uh, a lot more bearable. And one thing I've shone through in those two games you've mentioned there, the Watford and Brighton game, as it did on Saturday, was the lack of goals. It is an issue. Um, you know, 40 million Joe Linton, he's still settling in. Dwight Gale's just come back to fitness. Um, Almiron can't seem to buy a goal. It is it is an issue, and we are far enough into the season now to say it is an issue. Oh, it's, it's a definite issue. I mean, it, it seemed we all predicted that it probably would be an issue before the season, given that Perez and Rondon had both left. That was more than 50% of Newcastle's goals from last season. But more than that, it was also Premier League experience. And that, for me, is, is what you can see from what we've seen so far this season with Carroll unavailable, really, to be fit enough to start and Gale having only just come back in the last couple of weeks. That The the, the other three between them, the, the front three, yes, Atu's been coming in out, but if you take the, the, the front three of 70 million, however much it was Newcastle spent on them, between them... Almiron's got eight, seven, eight months worth of Premier League experience. The other two have Sam Maxman's only started three games. Joe Linton nine now. You have a lack of, of Premier League now. So you have young players. Bruce, one of the things he said after the game was he kept on going about. You've got people talk about Chelsea's youth, but but we have youth as well. And, it's, and that almost is highlighting part of the issue, though. Yes, they are young, but Newcastle put their faith in in this these youngsters during the summer they, they they decided to go for that ahead of signing someone like Rondon permanently and Joe Linton clearly has so many positive characteristics about him but at the moment you just look and you think he, he does need a bit of help he needs some he doesn't seem to be a central striker for a start it's a position he's adapting to he's adapting to a new league all of that he isn't getting the service and there's so there's so many issues there for Newcastle and attack I say defensively I thought they were very very good at Stamford Bridge I think that that is an area where hopefully if they can replicate that going forward you, you're not too concerned about that area other than, than two horror shows so far this season in general you think they are strong there but going forward I look at it and, and I, it, I do worry between now and January thinking where are the goals going to come from I mean, there's, a, there's a big warning sign there as well isn't it the fact that Gale comes on you know alright he doesn't get have a chance but no one passes them the ball yeah. once in you know seven plus minutes that has got to be a worry. If you put him on the pitch, you've got to get the ball to him. And if, if, if Joe Linton's got the problems and Gale's got the problems, it's obviously a wider issue. You've taken the words out of my there because that was going to be the next point is that, <laughs> you know, we can say Joe Linton's young. He's, you know, there's some argument that he might be played out a little bit of position. You're saying that Chris is adapting to it. But the bottom line comes down to that service. And if he's not getting the ball yeah. into goal scoring opportunities, then it's a little surprise that he's not. I mean, no, no, no wonder he was unhappy on on Saturday. One, he doesn't come on until you know the game is almost dead. Um, two, when he does eventually come on, uh, no one's passing him the ball, and that the Clark chance. If you look at it, Gale was there. He was 
you know, if you flick that across to him, he's got a, a golden opportunity, but he took it on himself and, you know, put it over the bar. You know, it, we're clutching at straws a little bit, but that, that was all that Newcastle had in the second half, really, wasn't it? Do you think Gale, I mean, Bruce is a massive fan. He's, he's spoken about him countless times about how he tried to sign him in various other clubs. Now he's disappointed that he hadn't seen him kick a ball until probably about a month ago or so. Do you think he will now become a, an integral part of the starting eleven? Well, uh, the pressure on the manager is, does he drop the £40 million summer market he's signing, you know? And needs needs probably must in, the, in this next game because they've, they've got to get something out of it. So he's got to change something, whether he brings Gale in alongside Jolin and, and Almiron is either pushed further out wide or is is given a rest. Something's got to give in that final third because Newcastle are not an offensive threat whatsoever at the moment. Well, I, I mean, thought it was interesting on Saturday, it was, he's spoken before about trying to get Carroll and Joe Linton into the team together and the change he made was to bring Joe Linton out to the left. So I wonder if that will, will be the change potentially with Gale maybe coming in in the centre off just offer something different a different way of attacking someone who's going to run the shoulder rather than, than come deep be interesting to see how that would work in the current system maybe you would need to change the system as well I mean the problem I've got with with, with, with the summer recruitment is it, I think they've signed some players with clear potential but I don't necessarily think the team and how they fit together fits in that because even if you go back to, to what Bruce tried to play at the start of the season 3-5-2 I remember the big question then was everyone's going well, how are you going to get Joe Linton Sat Maximan and Almiron in that team so the three of them wouldn't have fit into that team to begin with now in the current system you've got the three of them in it but they don't seem to, you've got Joe Linton playing as a central striker doesn't really want to do it you've got Almiron playing out on the right where he's never really played before then when he changed things on Saturday he moved Sam Maximan out onto the right and he clearly wants to be playing on the left as well so you've got that issue of you've signed players but not necessarily thought how are these going to fit together it's just he looks like a good player he could he could become an even better player and potentially develop into X amount of millions but You've got the, the actual development plan doesn't seem to be there at the moment. So it goes back to that question that you just asked earlier: Does he drop Joe Linton? Does he drop Almiron? Is it a case that Bruce now has to just go right football in terms? Let's forget the price tag. Let's forget the name. It is how we get the best for Newcastle United. And he goes, okay, maybe maybe it does require Joe Linton on the bench. It does require Almiron to drop out. Something drastic's got to happen. Something drastic happened before the Man United game, didn't it? When you know the Longstaff brothers were were thrown into battle, um, was that ever? Were they ever going to have a great game at Chelsea like they did against Man United? Probably not. Um, it wasn't impossible, but, but probably not. So now he's got to come up with another drastic plan to to get this team to respond against Wolves, and it's going to be a tough game. Uh, Wolves already battered Newcastle once in pre season four nil over in China. Um, they're not have you know they're not flying like they were last season. They've got the Europa League that might play in Newcastle's hands on Sunday. But you know you're looking at it in that final third. Who's going to cause Wolves problems on Saturday? Um, they, didn't, they didn't look like they were going to cause Chelsea any real issues. Now they've got to dig deep and come up with a ploy to, to, to do something in that final third. We hope you've enjoyed this episode so far. Just a quick reminder to please subscribe and review to our podcast through iTunes, Spotify or whichever podcast provider you listen through. Bruce mentioned that he has to protect Joe Linton. Um, I mean, how does he do that? Because the only way the mood's going to change is if Joe Linton starts scoring goals and it's 
how, how does he how does he protect them from from it's not criticism is it from everybody it's kind of just I don't know what you'd call it. I wouldn't say it's criticism it's just it maybe a worry concern yeah it's a good question and it's something that that I mean Bruce's man management skills have been lauded by so many of his, his former players and this is the sort of time where for someone young like Joel and he keeps making a big thing out of his age and it's it's right to he's he's only 23 he's adapting to a new culture a new language a new country a new position a new league everything's different for him and yet he's he, he's take, he's decided he wanted the number nine shirt he decided he wants to be in that position but I think now he realizes Joel Linton himself that is that this is this is a very big much of a step up given the resources given uh, the lack of service that he's getting and so Bruce has to, to try and work out whether that is to move him out to the left or whether it's to, to persevere in this current system and get the ball to him more frequently or at some point it may be to take him out of the team now that would be a huge call the £40 million mark he signed as Lee said but at some point maybe it will be that that's what he needs to do if he thinks he's, he's got a viable alternative Newcastle can't let this go on indefinitely where they can't score goals. They're going to have to keep experimenting and trying because five goals in nine games is is is, is alarming. It's not even just the fact that they're, they're scoring fewer than one a game. It's basically one in every two, just a little bit more than that, which by this stage of the season, given the games that they've got a, they've got coming up, yes, they've had difficult fixtures, but given the games they've got coming up, they've got to really up that intensity and show that they can score more than once in a single game mentioned Almiron briefly there I mean has it, has his performances improved of late I mean he played quite well against Manchester United should have scored there was a, there was a, a brief moment where against Chelsea you thought if he hits that first time it could be a screamer but again I suppose that takes a player with confidence and he maybe hasn't got as much as that as we would like but positive signs still there yeah I, I honestly don't think he's got a confidence issue because again you got that great view of Chelsea and I was watching him and he was shouting he was demanding the ball he was pointing where he wanted it I don't think he's got a confidence problem at all I just don't think that he sees it as an, on himself as he's the goal scorer I just think he thinks that he's the playmaker he's going to cause problems uh, maybe he does need to get a shot away and you know, just get this sort of goal drought off his back um, Joe Linton the issue of it's definitely the shirt, the number nine. It's definitely a factor. It's a heavy shirt. When I always remember when Oberfemi Martins got the shirt, he took it off Alan Shearer, um, and he actually met Alan Shearer, I think, a couple of days before his first game, and he said something like, "How, how broad are your shoulders?" Because they're going to need to be when you're wearing that shirt. And you know that's Alan Shearer saying that all you know 13 years ago, whatever it was. So I just think you know you're looking at ways how you could protect them. I think. Some of the the damage has been done by allowing him to wear the number nine shirt in his first season. Um, I, I think it's put a lot of expectation on his shoulders. Uh, I, I don't see him. I look at his previous record. I don't see him as a, a poacher or a regular goal scorer. And he's certainly not going to get any goals if he's not getting the service. So it's it's not just him who's a, it's a problem. It's the tactics. It's the, the game plan. Um, but I think the number nine shirt can wear you down when you're not scoring goals. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. 
It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Is it a case of both men, both Almiron and Joe Linton, that they've maybe been sold as these goal getters when you actually like Lee says you look at Julian's record that's not what he is Amiron when you speak to people who've watched him throughout his career say well actually he'll get goals in maybe over three or four games but not over the course of a whole season and is it a case that maybe Newcastle United fans have been led to believe that actually you know, these are the people that are going to get the goals and in reality they're more providers well possibly but the reality is they are the ones who are going to have to get the goals because they've they've been signed for that and Newcastle haven't kept the ones who got the goals last season so even if and I'm sure I have no doubt the recruitment department know all of this they know what their main strengths are but given the lack of options at Newcastle I've given that they are the marquee signs of the last two windows they are the ones who are going to have to score the goals I found it interesting something that Bruce said after the game on Saturday when he was talking about and I'd agree with him he was reflecting on the first 25 minutes when Newcastle had quite a few decent counter-attacks Sam Maximan got them up the pitch a few times same with Almiron and it was the final ball or the final shot they didn't get away and it reminded me of the first half of last season when Benitez would talk about that and he said he kept this was before obviously they had the, the transfer this was before Rondon was fully fitting in the team this was before Almiron was there and I remember him talking about his players and saying about how we're getting in the right positions but it's that final ball that's lacking and I can see what because I know that Bruce was mocked by a few people for saying and I can see why because he said something about unbelievable chances or something, which I didn't have but what he meant was we were in the, the correct position of the field but it's that final ball and that that for me is the concern in the minute Sam Maximan's brought a heck of a lot but you just see that decision-making towards the end hasn't quite been there. Joe Linton hasn't necessarily been in the position either. Not only is he not getting the service, he isn't someone who's who's constantly getting himself in the box. And then Almiron, there's a few times where he either goes too far wide or he cuts back on his left and tries to shoot when it clearly isn't the best option. And They've really got to be smarter on the ball. Moving on to the defence, I mean, it seems daft that <laughs> talk about Newcastle United, but we're saying actually they've got a really good defence and it's not often down the years we've, we've said that and actually had the kind of the opportunity to say, well, we haven't got it up top, but defensively they they look really strong. Kevin Clark's come in and he's done really well, and we've got Lejeune still to come back. And in a few weeks' time, Steve Bruce could have a massive decision to make. Um, yeah, I think centre backs wise, they've got some good options. Uh, full backs still a bit of a question mark for me. I I thought Yedlin looked a bit unsteady at times uh, in the first half. Looked a bit tired. Obviously, the international break had, for me, had taken its toll on him. You know, playing in that high octane game against Canada earlier in the week, uh, I think I think that was difficult for him. Um, but then, <laughs> does he fancy Emil Kraft in terms of putting him in instead? If he was fresher, you know, maybe he should have gone in. I don't know. Um, Willems as well looked a bit leggy in the second half. Uh, Big dip in performance after the Man United game. I thought he was terrific against Man United, but he just seemed to disappear a bit at Chelsea. So, yeah, I agree with what you're saying, centre backs wise, but full backs, I think there's a, a bit of room for improvement. And, you know, does Paul Dummett come back into 
contention um, for the weekend and instead of Willems we'll have to wait and see Was it a case that the national break came at the wrong time do you think like if, if we'd gone in against Chelsea straight after performance would have been a bit more a bit better. I think that could have carried on some of that but I also think that the international break from a psychological point of view actually Newcastle needed it because they'd had a that there'd been so much had gone on in, in, in between the two international breaks and that had the the dramatic low of Leicester and really they had to respond from that and then they had the high of Man United and for once it was actually nice on Tyneside for a fortnight you had that positivity which carried over particularly because it was the fact that the Longstaff had played so well together Matty had got the winner and you had you had that sense of yes this is far better this is a complete uh, antithesis to what, what we had the, the last at national break so I think that actually it was important they had that maybe they were a bit leggy come back maybe it wasn't the ideal start but they also had two weeks to prepare for Chelsea and, and the defensive game plan for an hour worked quite well until Newcastle maybe got a bit leggy defensively I thought they were good for the most part I actually thought Q and Cox struggled at times I know I know that a few people were raved about his performance I just thought that there was a, a, a few rash challenges in there a couple of mistakes um, and I mean that's me being hypercritical because I thought oh, that they the, defended the, the well the defensive the free kick in the first yeah, half yeah. Will Ayan yeah. had the chance so yeah, I agree with that so I, I mean that's been hypercritical but I just think that we, we've said it before and Bruce said it their season isn't going to be defined by Chelsea away but now it's about making sure against Wolves that they get a positive result because they haven't yet beaten a quote-unquote non-big six team Manchester United obviously are actually in and around where Newcastle are at the moment so in terms of points wise they're not too far away from them but actually putting in a performance against a team you would expect them to at least have a decent performance against they haven't managed to do that yet and they didn't even I mean Brighton completely outplayed them so they have to make sure that they don't have that against Wolves and Wolves I think also lack in terms of total number of shots but they score quite a few goals from them they're far more clinical than I think they've had fewer shots than Newcastle even but they are more clinical up front and if Newcastle do cede a few chances then, then Wolves will take them just before we we finish with the dreaded takeover uh, story, just on VAR, there was a few complaints that maybe uh, I think it was was Joe Linton was fouled in the build up to the Chelsea game, and then we've had over the weekend not the best few days for VAR. First of all, Bruce's complaint, and then your guys' thoughts on VAR as a whole. I think it's uh, watching that Man United Liverpool game yesterday. Um, both teams, you know, the minute a goal was conceded, you know, running the referee asking for VAR. Um, it's it's brought some good things to the game, but it's also brought a lot of negativity and gamesmanship in as well. Um, I, for me, I mean, I've <laughs> I I said it. Uh, I was talking to some colleagues, and I and I, I said that you know I, I like. In cricket, you get a sort of a limited number of uh, opportunities where you can get a review, uh, and I think that would probably go down well in football. Let's let's use it, let's enjoy it, um, but let's kind of limit it because if it's going to be every decision and the players are going to be pressuring referees to do to you know have a look at the screen every time something that they don't like happens, and I think if there's a people can be a bit wiser with it and I think it needs a well it is early days it's teething problems but for me I'm I love to see momentum in games and it's taken that away at the moment I, th- I think it's been a, a difficult start for VAR I think that part of the issue is that I think there was 
wrong misconception that it was going to suddenly resolve all issues and actually it's, it's created other issues. They've had to change some of the rules because of it in terms of handball and whatnot. And I actually think as, as a big rugby fan, I've been watching the Rugby World Cup and you see how they use video technology and A, there's far more... Uh, accountability because you can hear what the referee and the video referee are talking about whereas sometimes you have no idea what the decision or why a decision is being made and I think if you could hear what the discussion is there if they're saying this is being given we're looking at that because we think there might have been a push there then everyone would, would have more of an idea as to what's going on I also think that the onus is still with the referee on the field because he, he's encouraged to watch it and I know that that would take extra time but that's why I, one of the decisions I think has been strange at the Premier League or, or seemingly adverse to using this where the referee goes to the side of the pitch but for, for decisions that are subjective like fouls it's different for the, for the offside right I know a lot of people have complained about it but they've decided that's a black and white issue if he's offside he's offside but for like a, a penalty decision which me and you could both watch all three of us in this room could watch a penalty decision we may all have a different conclusion as to what it should be I think if it's a situation like that the onus needs to be on the referee and the referee should be told, look, we're not sure if your decision's right, you may want to stick with it, but go and watch it yourself. Whereas you've got a different referee sat in Stockley Park judging it, I think that that's where the confusion comes in and it almost seems like they don't want to give penalties if it hasn't already been given. Because I don't think there's been one, if, the, if, if a penalty hasn't initially been awarded, I don't think there's one decision yet that's gone to VAR and all of the 90 decisions or whatever it is that's actually been made into a penalty. I guess that's the frustration, isn't it? Because you watched the, the Spurs-Watford game Delefeu goes down in real time. You could go, okay, you know, it's difficult to say exactly, but then you watch it back on a monitor, and it's it's a clear cut penalty, and it, that for me is the frustration because that's in real time. Again, Delefeu's equaliser. You could say, does it hit his hand in real time? It's difficult to see. You watch it back, you know, you could say, yeah, it clearly does hit the arm, and that, you know. So where what what is the point in the monitors? What why aren't they being used? Yeah, I mean it's. I think it's something we're all still getting used to. I thought the Southampton Wolves game where it actually restarted. I don't know if you watched that game on match of the day, uh, and it actually got to the point where everyone's ready to restart. Everyone thinks it's a goal, and then all of a sudden they're getting ready to get on the way, and then it gets taken away. And I just think I wouldn't like to see that situation at St James's Park. The referee taking a goal away after so such a delay because you know with the be uproar. I mean, remember the. The Burton game with the, mm. yeah, the Matt Ritchie penalty, you know, it's look. It, I think we need to get used to it, and I think that at the end of the season, um, they'll probably have to have a look at how how they use it. It can be a benefit, but they need to to use it uh, properly. And the wrong decision on the screen at Spurs as well. I think it said no no goal in it. <laughs> what did a goal? It's just. Bizarre, isn't it? But yeah, I mean that's I suppose that's a technology issue. That could just be pressing the wrong button or whatever. I mean, it looks ridiculous and it's not helping with all the other negativity there's around VAR at the moment. But yeah, I mean that's not great. Then that's 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 what I mean about the communication. I don't think the communication's good enough in terms of if you're gonna ha- if you if you decided you're gonna go down the VAR route, which personally I've I've been a supporter of bringing in some sort of video technology over the last few years. If you go into though, there has to be that communication because particularly fans inside the stadium, the problem with the Burton game a couple of years ago was nobody knew what had gone on. For, for five, ten minutes, nobody had any idea. It was a five-minute stoppage. And then at half-time, I remember all of us as journalists going to try and find out what had actually happened, and nobody could really give an answer. And then basically, they got themselves in a situation whereby that they, they gave one explanation, and then the PGMOL had to come out after the game and say, actually, the, 
the basically the referee got it wrong because Benitez was standing on the touchline saying to the fourth official, "You can't give that," and the fourth official line and the two linesmen and the, and the referee between them couldn't decide what the decision should be. And again, that was nobody knew what was going on, and that's been the problem for me from VAR is we haven't had too many situations of that with Newcastle concerned. So I haven't seen really from the press box. It's been used a few times, but not in a massively controversial way. But hearing from from colleagues at other games who've covered VAR, they've said the main issue is that the communication still isn't really there, so nobody really knows why these decisions are being made. Just finally on that point, did Bruce have a point? Was Julian fouled in the builder to the goal? I've seen fouls given for that, definitely. Uh, yeah, he probably was, but I mean, again, if 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 you're going to point pinpoint that as a reason that Newcastle lost the match. They could have defended the situation afterwards far better for a start, but also I think Chelsea would have scored soon afterwards anyway. They led up the intensity, and I think that the game was was getting away from. So yeah, it probably was a foul, but I'm not. That's not the reason Newcastle lost. On the takeovers, then uh, report emerged from the Athletic today that Mike Ashley met two businessmen, or reportedly met two businessmen in London, Mexican businessmen, and things didn't go quite to plan. Um, no confirmation whether it was the Oligi group that was linked um, earlier this year. The presence was in London, but no confirmation whether it was him or not. I suppose the first point is that obviously this, there's still massive interest out there for Newcastle United. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't my story. It was from the Athletic, but it was David Ornstein who wrote it. So I have to be honest and say that I haven't actually spoken to him about it. So I don't know any in terms of inside information about the specifics of uh, this meeting that, that, that happened last week but what I will say is that there's always interest in Newcastle United there's always, there always has been interest there, there is continued interest not just uh, from uh, this Mexican group whether it's your O-League group or elsewhere that I know for a fact that there are still other interested parties as well but as we've kept on saying for the last two, three, four years Mike Ashley will sell Newcastle United one day but and when he does I think it will just be it'll just happen I don't think we'll have this constant inching towards it with 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 drip feed uh, information in public i don't think ashley wants that either i think that that's that's one of the conditions he, he's trying to set down and the big frustration is that he, he says he wants to sell newcastle everyone around him says he wants to sell newcastle nobody's yet met his asking price or at least met his asking price to the extent where the deal's gone through and for now we're still in the situation where it's it's it, certainly when newcastle are now i'd be surprised if in the short term a takeover happened because you could buy Newcastle for 300, 350 million, and by the end of the season, they may be worth less than half of that if they go down. Well, that's the point, isn't it? I mean, how does a relegation battle affect the, the prospect of a sale? Well, it does because, you know, you're not going to sell for 350 million if you're staring relegation in the face, and whoever comes in isn't going to pay 350 million for potentially a championship club. It's not going to happen. Uh, and then they would have to have huge problems going down we know everything that happens after relegation it's not quite clear cut um, what Mike Ashley wants in terms of the asking price it's between 300 and 350 million only he can answer that what seems to be the problem is is that the people who he has spoken to don't seem to have all the funds or can't prove that they can pay it over instalments and certainly can't prove that they can take it on to the next level, which is this requirement that he's asked for. It's a very complicated process. I don't enjoy talking about it, really. But at the end of the day, he said it himself, a takeover will take everyone by surprise because it all gets done 
undercover almost and the press will know about it but only a short time before it it'll either be the club that ring up and say this is going to happen in the next half an hour and we have that time to get ready for a story or whoever comes in will have deployed a PR company and they'll do the rounds which has happened a couple of times with, with emails from various groups that have ended up in the inboxes of, of journalists That that's how it works um, but people talking and speculating it, and then expecting something to happen um, it's, sadly it won't very frustrating indeed well Chris thank you very much for returning to Chronicle Towers no problem thank you very much for having me thank on. you very much Lee for joining us as well this has been the Everything Is Black and White podcast how are you doing there it is David from the David McWilliams podcast and this is a Staycast from Acast we're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out.